Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hi, I'm Benno, your moderator, and I'm sitting here with Paul Hagen, 24-year senior-level executive coach, author of a handful of books, including an Amazon number one rated self-help book called Owner Occupied, and then the recently published These Three Things, which I really liked, and we're going to talk about that today with, with Paul. Paul, say, say hi to the listeners. Hi, great to be here. Thank you, Benno. Thanks for making yourself available. I titled this episode sort of tongue-in-cheek, Can Three Things Improve Your Business? Really? Because, hey, you know, we're all kind of skeptical, but I know you'll make us think. So um, I gave a quick flyover of the last two and a half decades of being a a senior-level executive coach and author I skipped over your corporate communications background growing up in New Jersey and California, right? Uh, and, and a lot of points in between, but yeah, <laughs> bumped around a lot. So Before you made Cincinnati your home, what, like 30 years ago or 20 years uh, ago? Yeah, we've been here 20 years, 20 years now. So Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add or you want to jump right into these three things, the title of your book? Yeah, let's let's go at it for the sake of our listeners here. They're figuring what these guys are getting ready to talk about here. So let's do that. Yeah. All right, all right. So we we usually kind of you know start with one topic and then we end up finding answers to those and other questions. But I read your book, these three things, and I was intrigued by the simplicity and the elegance of focusing on these three essential things. Right, three is always a good number to, uh, that kind of forces prioritization. I recently challenged myself to crystallize my company's values, and I came up with three succinct statements. Be real, be gritty, grow damn it. You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> that's great stuff. You ought to write a book. <laughs> I ought to write a book, right? So you talk about pride, safety, and love as these three things, but you, you introduce the reader by talking about memories as the window to our needs. Talk to us about the importance of memories. Yeah, and if I if I could for a moment actually go back to your title, which I'd like to, you know, these three things can transform your business. Really? You know, and honestly, I asked myself the same question. Could it be that simple? And as you know, the, the highest form of sophistication is actually simplicity. And I, I've just been increasingly drawn to, there's such a bewildering array of things out there that can entice us or inform us or guide us in terms of how to lead better. But I just kept coming back to these themes. And you're right, it it goes back to, um, actually, I use dreams as, as, as my way of kind of entering the topic. And my analogy or my story is, if you think about, I've asked people, what are your earliest childhood memories? And I mean early, you know, like five, six years old kind of stuff. And everybody has some kind of story, and it's usually, uh, hopefully, it's a positive, you know, affirming kind of story. Sometimes not, but invariably, whatever that story was, always seemed to be rooted in one of three things. And those three things, as you suggested, the first is that we want to be proud of ourselves, or have somebody who's important to us be proud of us. 
So, hey, mommy and daddy, look at me up on the diving board, right? The second is to be safe. Now, some of that is the monsters under the bed, the lightning outside, mommy and daddy tucking us into bed. But a lot of it is actually social safety, that we belong to a tribe. We belong to a family. This is home. This is where we can be ourselves and be welcomed and appreciated and grow. And the third one is to be loved. And I mean deeply loved uh, to the point where mommy and daddy or whatever, or grandparent, whoever the, the caring adult is in your life, would do anything for you that was in your best interest. And I think we could almost start nodding our heads going, yeah, that's probably true. But what, what occurred to me is I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced now that those three needs are so deep within the human spirit, they never really go away. They may take on different forms. We may even use different words. But this notion of the essence of pride and of feeling safe and feeling deeply loved or cared for, I think actually is so much a part of who we are. And if we can somehow embrace that in leadership, I think we can start to lead people in a very, very different way you know, than any KPI or strategic plan or anything else uh, could do. So that's basically my premise. So let's dig a little more into pride. You talk about the pride as the fuel that energizes the engine of our lives and our hopes. You talk about the fact that without pride, you cannot sustain growth or realize our potential. And that really resonated with me as I'm trying to understand, well, what role has pride had in, in my life? And, you know, there's, I'm proud to be an immigrant who came here as a 16-year-old. I'm proud that I pushed a team through a horrible chapter 11 bankruptcy situation in 2008, 2009. I'm proud of creating more value than we consume in, in my growth agency. But you talk about pride as healthy pride and, and unhealthy pride. Talk, talk a little more about that. Yeah, actually, when I was writing this book and I was bouncing the ideas off some people, you could almost see them kind of raising the eyebrow, like pride, you know, sort of in that Judeo-Christian biblical notion of pride goes before the fall, right? I mean, who wants to be proud? And that's a haughty pride. That's what I call the unhealthy pride. The kind of pride where we're measuring ourselves against others, I think is always perilous. The kind of pride that I'm talking about is measuring ourselves against ourselves, and I do think that pride is, it fills up our tank. It gives us a sense of accomplishment, which then leads to a sense of confidence to take on the next challenge. You know, Brene Brown is, you know, of course, has been uh, so articulate on the issue of shame, which is really the opposite of that. We're ashamed of ourselves and we, we withdraw. But I think a healthy sense of pride where we're just simply acknowledging you know, what our growth has been, I think, can really help us move forward in a big way. And I believe deep down inside, people want to be proud of themselves or have others who matter to them be proud of them. And I think particularly in business, I think if we can understand that, we can really unleash things. You know, there's, a, there's always a, most businesses, and frankly, it's a good business discipline, you know, to have targets, to have KPIs, to have measures of success. I'm sure, and even in your own experience, you've seen where that can also invite a lot of very perverse behaviors to hit the number. In fact, I've, I've had, I know businesses where they've, they hit a target and, you know, I ask them how they feel about it. And actually, rather than being celebratory, they're actually kind of relieved, which is very interesting. We're relieved that we hit our target because what we were avoiding was the shame or the embarrassment of not hitting it. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying put aside the KPIs and the targets, but recognize that 
frankly, the human spirit unleashed, where pride is at stake, you know, has, has a, throughout history, has accomplished some incredibly remarkable things. And that's my premise of there, but that's my difference between healthy and unhealthy pride. And then safety. You talk about social safety cannot just be defined by words, but has to be affirmed by actions. And the first thought that came to my mind as I read this, it sort of makes sense that you have to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, right? But then I thought about my, my late father who did a lot of things right and sort of created trust through his actions. But his words, you know, were either missing or, or not always right. So do you agree that, you know, the lack of words or wrong words can also hide the good actions? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it goes both, well, both ways. I can think of many of discussions with clients where, you know, they're just saying, I'm, I'm so proud of, of Helen or Dan or whatever, somebody on their team that did something. I mean, it's just amazing. And I said, well, have you told them that? And sad to say, a lot of responses have been, well, they, they know that. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, have you told them? And so I think, yeah, I think that's important. Words do matter. But as well, uh, you know, the, the converse is also true that words alone don't matter. How many times have we been in meetings where, um, or if you can imagine a situation where you've been in a meeting where the CEO, whoever's leading the meeting says, well, I just want to have an open discussion today and everything's on the table and whatever we need to talk about. And, you know, let's, let's, let's wrestle with some stuff here. And then somebody brings something up and there's this awkward silence or the head of the meeting says, well, let's take that offline or uh, whatever, you know, well, that's where the actions are not matching the words. So the two things go together. And this is, you and I are talking about this in the context of social safety. But I think of all the, the three things I've mentioned there, the one that I think is the most subtle and that we try to read into a lot is this, I, do I feel safe? I'm absolutely convinced that every time we enter into a conversation, every time we go into a meeting, have these kind of uh, discussions, people are almost subconsciously weighing, am I safe? In fact, there was an article written a couple of years ago by an FBI agent. It was a fascinating article. Uh, he's actually trained to understand what those signals of safety are as they, frankly, you know, develop a contact, right, or a source or some kind of relationship they need, maybe doing intelligence work or some investigative work. So the body is constantly reading, sniffing the wind, if you will, about is it okay to be who I am, to say what I need to say, to feel the way that I do. It's kind of bewildering at times. It may seem kind of complex, but we really need to become a student of what it takes to create a safe environment where people do feel that they can be themselves, be open, be honest, you know, and have that kind of trust, mutual trust developed to move the organization forward. I'll give you a funny example of this. And we've had, as we all know, this has been a real rough six months, but I can think of a situation where even before the COVID situation hit, there was a business that it missed its, it's, it's a big public company, missed its earning target. You know, and, it was a little, and as you know, Wall Street hates a surprise. So somewhere in the earnings guidance, they didn't indicate that this one aspect of the business was struggling. You know, and I, I thought about that. I said, you know, that's actually a safety issue because why would people wait until the last minute, dig and scratch and open up the drawers and cut open the mattress and try to hit their number and not admit early on that they are, that they were in trouble. I'm not saying all businesses do that, but in this situation, it really jumped out at me. That's a safety issue writ large where you can literally even miss an earnings target because people are worried about being ashamed of admitting that they're off. 
So this idea of safety is very personal. It could also be very corporate. But more than ever, I think it's much more of a factor in creating the cultures that we say we want to create within the businesses, whether or not people feel safe. And then the third one, the third thing is love, which you talk about it as imparting or showing worth to others, especially at a cost to ourselves. By the way, I, I, I appreciate that you didn't talk about servant leadership platitudes, because I think that word is so overused. These days, everybody claims, oh, yeah, I'm a servant leader. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because I, I, make the, I make that point in the book about servant leadership because I, uh, there are certainly very good people who honestly want to serve you know, their people in their organization, and that's all admirable. But the funny thing about servant leadership, it can make you feel pretty good. You know, If you're a good person and you like to serve others, you, you get to feel pretty good about it. It's not costing you necessarily. In fact, if anything, it may be affirming you and building you up. And I'm kind of going to another level, as you suggested. And that, so we, first of all, by the way, when we talk about love, and when I've talked to people about this, I bring up the word love, and you ought to see the looks in the room like, oh, where's this going? You know? <laughs> California, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, let's warm, huggy stuff here. Here we go. But, you know, I, I'm kind of unapologetic about, it. yeah, we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about love. Absolutely. And you can use whatever word you want, but don't dumb it down and just say care. Because what I mean by love is, as you mentioned earlier, what the, the definition I use in the book is I think the deepest form of love is when we impart worth to others, even at or especially at a cost to ourselves. If we have a moment, I, I've just got a, a story that just meant everything to me, and I've, I've shared this with others. I was a young Turk guy in a kind of fast-rising junior executive type in, in a large corporation, and my job was to write the... Uh, board presentations for the CEO. I don't know why they gave it to me at that age, but I was pretty good at it, but you know, give it to him, give it to Hagen, you know, he'll do anything. And one, this one time I used to go over the slides. Back then we literally made slides. This is really archaic. We actually had to draw them on a piece of paper and <laughs> sketch them out and hand You're them to a design firm. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm dating myself and hand them to a design firm. Mysteriously, they'd come back three days later. Well, somewhere in that process, I forgot one of the slides. I don't know if it was like earnings per share, but it was something pretty big. And by then it was too late. And the CEO was just stomping. Like, where's my slide? Where's my earnings slide? You know? And, um, that's the first time I thought my middle name began with an F, if you know what I mean. Because um, I, I went home that day. I thought I was going to get fired. I came in the next day. It was like slow motion walking forward into the building for the you know the fate that awaited me. I mean, this it's all over. And um, I have saw my boss that morning, and he's like, "Hey, Paul, how you doing?" I'm going, "Oh, really? I thought I was going to get dragged into your office with the HR death nurse, you know, to be handed my separation package." And he was just fun, you know. And then I saw the CEO later that afternoon. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Great board meeting. You know, I'm just going, what did I do? Cheat death here? You know, and years later, years later, I was sitting on the front porch with a guy that worked for the same boss, guy that I knew very well. And we're telling old stories, you know, of our days in the company. And uh, I told this story and I said, you know, God, I should have been fired for that. And he was smoking a cigar and he pulls a cigar out of his mouth. And he blows the smoke up in the air and he looks over at me and he goes, you want to know why you weren't <laughs> going? Yeah. And he goes, because our boss at the time, he went into the CEO and said it was he, not me. It was him that forgot to put the slide in the deck. I mean, let's just pause for a second and think about that. Isn't that amazing? You know, this guy's still alive. He's long retired. 
if he called me tomorrow and say, hey, Paul, I need you for something, I'd be there. I'd be at his doorstep the next day. You know, it's, it's that kind of, of love, of that sacrificial imparting. He felt that I had good potential in the business and, you know, let's not blow up this guy's career early over one mistake. And he stood up for me. He took the hit. I mean, that's incredible stuff. And I'm not saying we have to be martyrs as leaders, but there's so many opportunities to just stand there, not just alongside, but sometimes in front of our people and take that hit or take that burden and earn a kind of loyalty and passion for the business that I don't think you can get any other way. I mean, you talk about taking the bullet is a way that you could show love, right? You talk about love is given, respect is earned, but love is given. And like my wife likes to say, power is never given, it's always taken. I just had to throw that in there because I I, I like that saying. Yeah, it's the uh, opposite really, of that. Right? <laughs> really has nothing to do. Well, yeah, it's the opposite of what we're talking about here. But So love is given. Give me some, and I guess that was probably the best example of how a leader gives love in a business context. Or is, is it, are any other examples? Yeah, it, it doesn't always have to be heroic. I can think of a situation a few years ago where senior executive in a business was aware that another division, well, they, they had this idea and the CEO kind of blew it off. I don't know if it was just wasn't well thought out or he was he or she was in a bad mood or what the issue was, but this guy decided, no, I think this is a good idea. And he had a better relationship or had he had some some relationship capital, right, with the CEO. So he went back in there on behalf of this other group, it wasn't even his group. And said, you know, I think this deserves a rehearing. And I think the CEO said, we've already talked about this. You know, so he made it hard. And he says, I know we've already talked about it, but I want to talk about it again. And as it turns out, he was able to get the project approved. And the other division, they were dancing on the desks. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, when he recounted that story to me, and, and he, I had taken him through this love, safety, pride thing, he's the one that said, you know, Paul, I just realized that was love, safety, and pride at work. And I said, well, tell me more. He says, well, for one thing, they're really proud of their work. And frankly, they were kind of discouraged, almost ashamed that they couldn't find a way to move it forward. They didn't feel safe, you know, going back to the CEO and making the case again. They already took that hit, right? And the love was he was willing to put his relationship capital on the line, you know, and to bring this thing forward to the CEO again. So not only was it a good thing for the business, but it, just, it was just just a great example of we don't have to be a hero with a swinging a flaming sword at the top of the hill. It's just these little moments where we pay attention to those kind of things really build up. I bet that story will become legend within that business. And I bet the people in that organization, you know, are going to think a whole lot better of this one senior executive than they ever did before. So it, it doesn't have to be big. It'd be small ways too. Very practical. You also talk about achievement doesn't have to be thought of as just a factual thing. But there's an emotional feeling impact, which sort of flies in the face of, you know, achievement has to be, you know, smart goals, measurable, achievable, objective. You talk about achievement is as much a feeling as a fact. How do you square that with the achievement has to be fact-based? Fact well, you know, what we accomplish is always measured. You know, that part's fine. What I'm suggesting, though, is the measure itself ought to not be the only driver of behavior. Is What I'm saying is oftentimes the best way to hit those goals and, and oftentimes, frankly, exceed them is recognizing what's at stake in the human spirit. 
So the numbers aren't what driving the action. It's it's what could hitting that number mean to people and how do we treat people along the way is kind of the issue. You know, I'm sort of kind of going through my data bank here trying to think of examples of that. But I, I just have so often seen, I've, I've asked people, I've been doing this for 24 years. I've asked most of my clients one time or another in one way or another, who's better, who's meant the most to you? you? Who's helped you grow the most or has had the most impact on you in your career? It was never the guy or the woman that knew how to operationalize a KPI, <laughs> you know, or do a strategic plan or do any of that kind of stuff. It's where they just, they just showed a commitment to them as a person. And I would, you know, can I prove this debt, Benno? No. Can I, can I fulfill your premise about can I transform business really? I don't know if I can prove that, but I'll tell you, I, but, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm not dissuaded. I deeply believe that some of the greatest accomplishments we ever have were not just because of a strategic plan. But it was because they really understood what it took to mobilize and unleash the natural power we have as human beings. You know, I'll give you another example that just occurred to me. Early in my career, I was working, it was on a merger acquisition. So we were a public company. So everything was under the, done in the dark. In fact, I had to do two jobs at once. I had to do my regular job and develop the communications plan for this proposed acquisition. And I got done on like the Wednesday afternoon before Thanksgiving. And it was just like, you know, slid it, slid it home under the tag at home plate, just barely got it done. And CEO was, I think he and I were about the only people left in the building. And he says, gosh, thanks, Paul. So we're hanging in there, getting this done. You know, we really need this for Monday and appreciate your efforts and have a great Thanksgiving. Where are you going? <laughs> I said, well, I'm staying home. And he goes, oh, that's great. And he says, uh, so have a good time with, uh, you know, with your wife and the kids. I said, well, actually, they're not here. Where are they? Well, they went down to Florida to visit her family. And he goes, well, why aren't you down there? <laughs> because I had to get the plan done. You know? Hello. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I didn't know that. Well, I went out to lunch or something like that. I came back to my desk. Now, the HR, somebody in HR and procurement is going to go nuts when they hear this. But guess what was sitting on my desk? It was an envelope with a first-class ticket down to that city in Florida. That's amazing. I got to tell you, as I tell the story, I'm almost kind of getting a little weepy-eyed here. I mean, it's just... That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And we have to slow down and pay attention to that and just kind of, I hate to say this, but get our nose out of the strategic plan occasionally and say, who's helping me get this done? And what does it matter to them to get it done? And how can I help them through this process feel proud, safe, and loved? And that's, it's as simple as that, but that's the premise. I think we we should leave it right there. That w you just kind of wrapped it all up. And thank you so much for giving your thoughts behind this wonderful book, these three things on Amazon. I highly recommend. It's a fairly short book, right? Like, uh, I did. Yeah, I mean, how could I say something simple and then write a you know, three hundred page book? So it's it's actually only a hundred pages. I've had people say, my goodness, thank you so much. I read the whole thing on the airplane. Uh, and by the way, when I say these three things, I'm not the only person with a book called These Three Things. There's quite a few out there. So it's These Three Things by Paul Hagen, H-E-A-G-E-N, and How an Understanding of the Human Spirit Can Transform Your Leadership. But there you go. And if folks want to reach out to you to speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, do you want to give a website or an email address or some kind of contact? Sure. My business is called Defining Moments. That's a whole other discussion, but definingmoments.me, not .com, but .me. So definingmoments, all one word, .me. 
And my email is easy enough, paul at definingmoments.me. There you go. Any parting words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience? If you and I haven't nailed down this simple concept by now, what else can we add to it? I think, no, this is, this has been great discussion with you. And I, th- I think you're right. I think we'll leave it at that. But that said, I would just really encourage people to, especially right now when we've kind of, frankly, think a bit a little more reflective and slowed down a little bit with COVID and had a chance to think more deeply about our lives and our leadership and things like that. I, I really hope people would become a student of this as I have and find some ways to, uh, to apply that going forward. So thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. If you want to explore growth topics one-on-one with me, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.